Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No, I'm geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. What's going on, everybody? Hardwork handicappers. Uh, so this comes out on a Saturday. I apologize for a delay in the episode. Usual Friday episode uh, was postponed because actually it wasn't. Recorded it. A little bit of an issue with the microphone and some noise that made it unlistenable, unpostable. So wanted to redo it. And actually, it worked out a little bit because we did get to see some games last night. And uh, one of these guys, uh, one of these topics that we're to discuss, we got to see in action, and that of course uh, would be the trade deadline and the uh, fruits that come from the trade deadline for some of these teams. We got to see Derek White in action on Friday night for the Boston Celtics in a win over the Denver Nuggets. So I guess it is somewhat, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know. It worked out, huh? (laughs) Beneficial. There we go. It works. It's somewhat beneficial uh, that ultimately record this on Saturday. So with that uh, trade deadline, the topic here, Really interesting ramifications from a betting perspective in the futures market from these deals. Uh, I think there are some moves to be made in the futures market that are out there. The odds have shifted and then come back in some areas as well after some of these deals that are totally worth discussing. So let's dive into it and discuss, I think, uh, probably is the biggest deal of the day. Yeah. No. Uh, the trade deadline, of course, headline was the Ben Simmons, James Harden, swap And uh, there's more than that. So overall, for those who are listening to recap, for those who don't remember off the top of their heads, Philadelphia received James Harden and Paul Millsap in exchange for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. So Brooklyn is um, – I want to I focus on the, the Philly side of this. But let's take a look at some of the shifts that we've seen. So before the trade went down, the Brooklyn Nets were plus 650 over the Westgate Superbook to win the NBA Finals. The 76ers were 14-1. to 
after the deal went down, the Westgate Superbook actually went to 10 to 1 on the Brooklyn Nets and 6 to 1 on the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, when I saw the 10 to 1, and this is a uh, an example of why you should have apps uh, all ready to go and whatnot, uh, don't have my account open at the uh, Westgate Superbook, so started to get dressed to head down to the Westgate Superbook to bet the Brooklyn Nets at 10 to 1. Ultimately, it gets moved, though, to 8 to 1. So there was a shift there, and then, like I talked about, right, a shift back. 10 to 1 seemed a little extreme in terms of the odds adjustment there, and, and that was going to be worth some value if you got 10 to 1 on the Brooklyn Nets. So as it sits right now, again, 76ers consensus price, we call it about 6 to 1, and consensus price on Brooklyn we'll call about 8 to 1. There's some shops that are a little bit shorter. Uh, the two first-round picks, by the way, unprotected 2022 first-round pick, and then a top eight protected 2027 first-round pick. Pick would remain top eight protected in 2028. It'll turn into two second-round picks, $2 million in cash, if it doesn't convey in either season. So blah, 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 whatever. We don't care about the first-round picks, right? This is a betting show, and uh, the 2022 first-round pick will come into play when we talk about the NBA draft in a couple of months. So let's talk about the 76ers side first, because I think one of the things that has kind of bugged me about this trade is the conversation around James Harden, because I think we need to remember just how good James Harden can be and just how good James Harden was in recent memory, right? So as a net overall, pretty good production just on its on its face, right? 23.4 points per game, 44% from the floor, 8.2 rebounds, 10.5 assists per game. In the 33 games that he played last season after he was acquired, when he played for Brooklyn before his hamstring injury, we're talking about 26.4 points per game, 8.9 rebounds per game, 11.2 assists per game in those 33 contests. Legitimate MVP candidate before getting injured with that hamstring, right? That hampered him the rest of the year and into the postseason. And you're talking about it from the 76er standpoint on the floor. At Harden and Bede, you would think pair pretty well together, I think, as a pick-and-roll combo, right? And Bede's not exactly a lob threat that Harden has played with in the past that he works really well with. Nick Claxton, he had the lineups last year with him and Nick Claxton together on the floor were really good in terms of a return to net rating and offensive rating because Claxton, right, spring a young kid who could play above the rim and slam dunk and all that kind of stuff, alley-oop. Um, right, Clint Capella was a really good lob threat. Dwight Howard at times was a pretty good lob threat back in the day. So, when you talk about the centers that he's used to playing with, Embiid's not exactly the same guy, operates a little bit more on that short roll, can pick and pop more often than not, right? Hit jumpers, mid-range shots, face the basket much more often. But a James Harden pick and roll with Embiid as the screener and the roll man, uh, that's going to be a deadly combination. It's going to be a very good combination. So let, let's get to, I think, <clears throat> kind of wanted to attack this from like the 76ers starting lineup perspective, some of the strengths, some of the weaknesses, and, you know, same thing with the Brooklyn. So 76ers, your projected starting lineup would be Tom, James Harden at the point, Tyrese Maxey at two, Matisse Thibault at three, Tobias Harris at four, Joe Lombita at five. Really high ceiling on offense these five bring. I think it's pretty obvious, right? We talked about the uh, the two-man game, Harden and Bede, along with their ability to, by the way, to score in isolation, right? Like that's the other benefit of it. Both James Harden and Joel Embiid, you can just throw them the ball in the respective areas of the floor and say, please go get us a bucket. More often than not, when they're operating at their peak, um, then they're going to be able to get you a bucket, right? Tyrese Maxey, for those wondering, like, well, Maxey's been playing point all season, and he has. 100% of his minutes this season have become a point guard. He can play off the ball. If you go back to last year, uh, spent 34% of his minutes at shooting guard. 76ers were plus 6.4 in those minutes. Again, it's not going to, like, just translate over very easily, but Maxey's shown an ability to play off the ball already in the uh, association level. Also, a 40.4% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter this year, so playing off ball, getting passes from – 
James Harden, when he's beyond the arc, should work out really perfectly. So I don't really worry about Maxie at all in that role. We know what Harris is as well on offense, off ball. Fiebel's not there for offense, right? He's there for defense. Uh, not really good across the board offensively, but we know what he's out there for, right? I think when you look at this lineup as a whole, uh, in terms of weaknesses for the Philadelphia 76ers, I think defense is where you start. Harden likes to switch a lot. It makes his job as a lazy-ish defender somewhat easier, right? Every single spot that we've talked about with Harden, uh, it has been a switch them all defense for the most part. You just switch one through four here, and then in those one and five pick and rolls with Harden and Bede, you're going to play drop, uh, drop coverage because you're not going to switch Embiid onto the perimeter, and Embiid doesn't really do that necessarily. He's more of a drop guy when it comes to him playing defense. So how they handle that dynamic defensively is going to be pretty interesting. And Harden, along with Maxi, are not plus defenders by any stretch. So you have two subpar defenders out there in your backcourt, and Maxi and Harden. But Thibel and Embiid are elite defenders at their respective positions, and Harris is a plus defender, we'll call it, right? An above-average defender. He's not going to get lost. He's not going to be a black hole. He's not going to be anywhere near the liability that Harden is at times uh, or just a poor defender like Maxi is at times. So I think from a defensive standpoint, this lineup kind of works, right? It's There's going to be some issues when Harden and Embiid are engaged in pick-and-rolls. We'll see how they work those out when they get on the floor together. But I think ultimately, like, their defensive rating might get worse with Maxi and Harden on the floor together, right? But I think overall, you're not talking about a, a defense that is all of a sudden going to become one of the worst in the National Basketball Association. Uh, at this point right now, Philadelphia, to give you an idea, uh, eighth in overall defensive efficiency, 108.6 according to NBA.com. Uh, so I'd expect that, you know, they get a little bit, they creep a little bit closer to 15th uh, than they would to first, obviously. But I still think that this is a fine defense with those two out on the floor. And when I say those two, I mean uh, Harden and Maxi as your primary backcourt. So for me, there's a couple of questions, right, from a basketball standpoint. What does Harden do when Embiid is working in isolation on offense, right? We see those Embiid possessions all the time. Gets the, you know, gets the, um, gets the ball kind of like in that mid-post area. Will work his defender a little bit. And either tries to draw free throws with that motion that he rips upwards in. Uh, or, right, shoot over guys, whatever. He just he likes to work in isolation in that mid-post area of the floor, and guys just clear out and let him go to work. Um, what does Harden do in those situations? Is Harden just not engaged? Is he just really not doing anything? Is he going to be moving off a ball, trying to get some open shots like Seth Curry would, right? Seth Curry and Joel Embiid had a really good connection on some of those possessions when you watched him out there. So Harden and his role when he's off ball and watching Embiid work in isolation, is he active or is he just being, you know, is he just sitting around and doing nothing and just standing there and, you know, just waiting for his turn to get into the offense? I'm wondering, really curious what that looks like. And from a pace standpoint, the Philadelphia 76ers are already 26th, or excuse me, they're 28th in pace right now on the season. Uh, With Harden on the floor, Brooklyn's frequency of half-court possessions jumped by 2.8%. Their transition frequency dipped by 1.8%. Now, they got more efficient in transition. Harden's actually still a really good transition player, uh, but they're not going to be sprinting up and down the floor with Harden out there. So it looks like they're going to be even slower when it comes to the way that they run their offense. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But I think ultimately, at the end of the day, when you talk about an odd shift to 6-1 to one here for the Philadelphia 76ers, about 3-1 to one to win the Eastern Conference, being a top-three seed, Uh, in terms of, again, odds right now, that makes sense to me. James Harden is a year removed from being an MVP candidate. And I get it. He's not likable. Uh, I I would say that I am a Harden stand still. Uh, We'll see if this drop-off continues, if this is really who he is. 
but I'm always hesitant to punt on a guy. You know, I saw a lot on social media. The guy's cooked. It's over, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the case. Um, but we'll see. I will not, I would not, like, I'm not going to scoff at anybody who wants to make that assumption of James Harden, mainly because his own actions have dug the hole for himself, right? So I'm not going to give up. And I think that when you look at this from the player standpoint, the reason why this team is as high as they are is they have two top-end talents right now at this point in James Harden and Joel Embiid. Now, I think there's real questions, right, when you talk about, all right, what's the rest of this team look like? Because you're not just going to play all five of them the rest of the time, right, every single uh, every single minute, obviously. So what does this team look like from a depth standpoint? What does the rest of their bench look like? Because not only do you get rid of Seth Curry and Andre Drummond in this deal, you know, you, you're um, – what's it called – you are dipping into your um, your depth for a little bit there with Curry and Drummond. So I, I think really when it comes down to it, it's what's the backup center position look like for the Philadelphia 76ers. I think obviously that Harden fills some of that off-ball shooting role that Seth Curry had. But Drummond was really good for them this year. And we'll get to Drummond and his role for, for Brooklyn because I think he was really solid as well. But the backup center position behind, um, uh, behind Joel Embiid right now is Charles Bassey. Who, who I think a lot of people are like, huh, who? Uh, yeah, the 2021 second-round pick. Uh, that's a, who's on their depth chart at this point right now, averaging about three points a game for the Philadelphia 76ers and um, has only played in about 22 this season and averaging seven minutes per game. You could throw, obviously throw Paul Millsap in there, but Millsap has not really looked like, a show, like his real self. And we'll see if he can get some of those minutes uh, at the backup five behind Joel Embiid. But again, that's a small ball five. That's not necessarily a true center behind Joel Embiid. So I think that's the biggest question is, from a depth per standpoint behind Embiid, one of the biggest questions for this team last year. Well, now it's a question again now that Andre Drummond is gone. But I agree with this shift. I think Philadelphia should be one of the top teams. If you're you're getting top-tier James Harden, which again is a question, I understand that, this is going to be a pretty pesky team to deal with in the Eastern Conference. So now on the flip side, we talk about Brooklyn here. Now, Brooklyn's more of an interesting, I think, a really interesting case study in terms of effectiveness. So you would assume a projected lineup in terms of your five out there when, when everything is when everything's set and everybody's out there and, and ready to play. Ben Simmons at point, Kyrie Irving at the two, Seth Curry at the three, you know, whatever, shift them back and forth, whatever you want. But essentially your five would look Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, um, and then the front court, Kevin Durant, and then whoever you want to throw out there at center, uh, potentially a Nick Claxton if you're going to play small. Uh, you can throw out, obviously, you have plenty of small ball lineup uh, uh, um, options in LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. So the center position is kind of an enigma. I think that depends on the matchup overall and who they're playing. But your core four, I think, would be Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, and Kevin Durant. And got to tell you, it's a pretty good core four, man. That is a damn good core four. And, and I think that works out really well. Now, what's going to be interesting if you're talking about that being your core four, and I do think that a guy like Joe Harris, if he wasn't injured, would be the starter there because he gives you – like Harris is like a, a solid defender. And, you know, he's not going to lock anybody down, but he's at least an average to above average defender. When you're talking about Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, and then whoever you throw in at center, you know, there are some questions there. Kevin Durant's a better defender than given credit for. But it's not going to lock anybody down. I think there's a chance that this lineup is better defensively than what we've seen the last couple of weeks from the Brooklyn Nets. 
But I think just from an offensive standpoint, I mean, think about this team in transition, right? You pull down a rebound, you get out and run, and it's Ben Simmons with the ball in his hand with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Seth Curry flanking him running down the court. I mean, that's a really deadly combination for transition offense. What do you do? Even if it's a four-on-four, right? What do you do in that regard? Who do you leave? It's just it's a really tough matchup for team in that area of the floor. Ben Simmons can still create in terms of his ability to attack off of the bounce. If if he buys into it, his roll off of the ball, right, can still work there too. I, I just think that when you look at this from the perspective of the Brooklyn Nets, like both teams I think made out really, really solidly here. And if James Harden is the guy that we know him to be in his past, then this almost seems like a dead-even deal at this point. But the Brooklyn Nets really make out well because now there's twofold here. One, you get Ben Simmons at the point of attack to defend you know, the other team's best player offensively. You get Andre Drummond in this deal as a center option for your bench that can also start and play against, uh, I don't know, Joel Embiid in a best-of-seven series. Right, So you have an, a matchup there because they had literally nobody that would match up with Embiid. They have plenty of small ball lineups now, the Brooklyn Nets do. And it's, again, it depends on who you want to play at center. It seemed that at the beginning, like throughout this year before it got hurt, LaMarcus Aldridge was like their main option uh, as a center. I think this really works. And Kyrie Irving, more off ball. Kevin Durant, we know, works off ball. Like this, is going, this would look really good if Ben Simmons is fully healthy and ready to go here. For the Philadelphia, excuse me, for the Brooklyn Nets, and here's so, and there's a couple of things I wanted to address too, right? One, this is just quick. We we got to stop questioning the whole mental health thing. Like we have no idea. It's been reported already by Verona Shelburne that he's still seeing a therapist and he's still going to continue to do so when he's out in Brooklyn. Got a lot of sarcastic like, oh, mental health, it's all done now, huh? He's all good to go. That's not the case. He's still seeing a therapist by all accounts and by reported. Uh, excuse me, it's been reported by credentialed and uh, well-connected media members. And the other is this this thought process of, well, you still won't shoot. Well, I don't think you have to, man. You don't have to now, right? There's not another paint-clogging big that's going to mess everything up in terms of spacing between him and Joel Embiid. Now he's going to be on the floor potentially. Let's say it's LaMarcus Aldridge. It's going to be him, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, and LaMarcus Aldridge on the floor. You don't need him to shoot, Right. So the spacing becomes a little bit better. You need to you need him to buy in a little bit more in some of those possessions where he's off ball, right? Being more of like a power forward type in some of those situations. But overall, he can still be the guy that they expected or that he was. Still a really good defender. And what this means for Brooklyn now is pretty interesting because they're going to get him back at some point. We don't know when that's going to happen, but he's going to be back in the fold here. Kevin Durant being reported, right? And again, working on this injury and coming back and actually – there's a headline today. Uh, yeah, closer return uh, was the headline today for Kevin Durant doing on-court work. So he's on his way. Uh, said Steve Nash after Saturday shoot-around, quote, he's on the court shooting, working through things, looking really good. Still a period of time he's got to get through to get over the line, but really positive. He's been on the court for a week or so, Nash continued. Now some of it is starting with spot shots, working his way up to more dynamic movement, but that's part of his rehab. He's in, he's doing great. So, look, the um, – the Nets have been super cautious in this like era under Steve Nash in terms of injury. But you're going to get him back at some point, Kevin Durant. This looks like it could really work for both teams. Now, when it comes to the Nets and title contention, all of those things, as you have lost uh, 10 consecutive games, you've dug yourself in a little bit of a hole here. You're two games back from Boston. 
for the seventh seed. You're two and a half games back from Toronto for the sixth seed and getting out of the play-in. It seems like they'd be uh, – destined is not is, is too strong because two and a half is, is not that uh, much of a gap. Two and a half is weird. Two and a half is – uh, a, a tough gap to get over, but also not that tough of a gap to get over depending on what kind of a team you are. And so we don't know what kind of a team the Brooklyn Nets are going to be here going forward now that they've gotten rid of James Harden. But it would be interesting because now you're looking at Brooklyn. Let's say they finish seventh. Okay. This is just, let's say they finish seventh. They finish seventh. They win their first play in game. So they're locked into the seventh seed. The way this is currently sitting right now in terms of the Eastern Conference, let's say their second round matchup. They're fully healthy and ready to go is against Cleveland. Or, excuse me, their first-round matchup is against Cleveland. They'd be favored, and they're going to win a best-of-seven series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then, let's say that the Chicago Bulls, who are currently three, move past their opponent in the first round, whether it be Toronto, Boston, anybody, right? Full strength again, the Brooklyn Nets, they wouldn't have home court, but they'd be able to win the series against the Chicago Bulls in a best-of-seven. And then all of a sudden you're talking about just like that. This team who has currently lost 10 straight is sitting on the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Boom. Scenario in which they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe against the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, but regardless, just w- when we were talking about these odds shift, at 10 to 1, to me that was totally worth it. But the market snapped that up really quickly and it was really smart. These numbers are where they should be. But I, I think when you look at this overall, it's dependent on what Harden shows up. But the Eastern Conference just shifted here. And a conference that looked destined to come down to potentially Milwaukee and Miami now all of a sudden has Brooklyn and Philadelphia to contend with. It could be any one of four teams, maybe five. We'll talk about one momentarily. But this Eastern Conference is now completely and utterly shaken up to the point where any one of a few teams can get it. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. 
Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's talk about a couple of the other matchups or matchups trades and how this works because there's one in the Western Conference that I really wanted to hit on because there's a bet to be made here, I think. And actually, again, we talk about the market like shifting after the initial trade and then shifting back after maybe a little bit of an action or adjustment. Uh, We saw that here. And it's not going to be one when it comes to a contender. So the New Orleans Pelicans acquire C.J. McCollum. Pelicans receive C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., Tony Snell, Portland gets Josh Hart, Tomas Sanaransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Lozada, 2022 first-round pick protected, second-round pick, two of them, okay? And Nikhil Alexander-Walker gets flipped to Utah, whatever. The point, the focus here is the New Orleans Pelicans. So why does this trade matter? So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't. Neither of these teams is making, or excuse me, is winning a championship. The New Orleans Pelicans are not winning anything anytime soon. But the New Orleans Pelicans much like Chicago Bulls last year, right? Remember when the Bulls made that move for Nikola Vucevic and it was somewhat surprising. You're like, yeah, what's going to happen here? You know, clearly they're making a push for the play-in. Ultimately, that didn't work out. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, Actually, they didn't even make the play-in, the Chicago Bulls, last season. But right now, the New Orleans Pelicans are in control of the 10th seed in the Western Conference. They have a half-game lead over Portland, a -a one-and-a-half-game lead over San Antonio, and a two-game lead over Sacramento for that final play-in seed. Remember, 10th seed is the final play-in seed. Over at DraftKings, they got reposted. Pelicans to make the playoffs, yes, 4-1. to one. And actually, it got reposted at 5-1. to one. I texted Mitch Moss, and I was like, yeah, 5-1, to one, that's worth it. Well, recheck, and it's down to 4-1. to one. Somebody, somebody thought so, too. And I wouldn't sneeze at 4-1 to one either here for the New Orleans Pelicans. Again, to make the playoffs. And to make the playoffs means you win a playoff berth. Again, so if you're a play-in team, that would mean winning a playoff seed, Right? So just because they make the play-in doesn't mean that you would cash this ticket. They would have to win what we would assume would be two games because right now they're the 10 seed, so they have to win that one and then play the loser of the 7-8 matchup. But that's it's it's I think a pretty sneaky good thing to look at here for the New Orleans Pelicans, right? So we mentioned the teams that are in contention also for that 10th seed. Let's talk about them one by one. Portland, we can consider I think the least threatening. They shift off the biggest they ship off the biggest pieces. Uh, of their team in hopes of retooling in the offseason, right? They're they're all geared toward the offseason and rebuilding this thing around Damian Lillard one more time for one more go at it next season, right? So they seem to be the least, I would call them the least threatening team and a team that is destined to uh, 
slide down the standings. And in fact, again, I had to re-record this on Saturday. Uh, they played the New York Knicks today and uh, were down pretty big. Right now, they came back. How about these Knicks, man? Blowing these leads. Uh, the Knicks again blow another pretty big lead here and are actually down 99-98. So we'll see if they can do this. But I mean, you're talking about Justice Winslow, Yusuf Nurkic, Josh Hart, Anthony Simons, C.J. Ellaby, Watford, Brown, Hughes, McLemore is their bench. You know, it's um, it's not the best Portland team. So maybe they can get hot down the stretch here. But I would assume that they're the least threatening. San Antonio still a threat after they made the trade of Derek White. They're one zero series. They have a one zero lead in the regular season series against New Orleans. They have the eleventh easiest schedule left in the league. Right, uh, consensus win percentage of four ninety six for the remainder of their opponents. So that's a pretty good threat for San Antonio and Sacramento is obviously a threat to make this as well because they made their own trade to push for a play in berth, which would be getting Demontis Sabonis among others, Jeremy Holiday or excuse me, Jeremy Lan and um, um, and Holiday from the Indiana Pacers. So the Kings are trying to get into this playing seat. So the Kings are going to be a threat too. However, Kings like we just mentioned right a couple of minutes ago. Two, two-and-a-half game leads can be a lot for some teams. They can be nothing for others. Well, the Kings are down by two games, and they're not really a good team in terms of trying to catch up to New Orleans for that 10th seed. They also have a schedule that's on par with New Orleans in terms of strength of schedule. Uh, they're both 9th uh, and 8th in terms of winning percentage by their opponents. So we look at the teams that are in contention for the 10th seed, and I would feel really comfortable making New Orleans the favorite to land the 10th seed, at least. Just, just win the 10th seed, Okay. And then you get to the play-in participants that they might be facing, which would be Minnesota, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Los Angeles Lakers, the likely participants at this point. Um, Denver could slide into this if they wanted to, or if they wanted to. Uh, Denver could slide into this uh, if they play somewhat poorly, right, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Right now, the Denver Nuggets are one and a half games ahead of Minnesota, who is currently the seventh seed. So a little bit of a, a slump for the Denver Nuggets, who have been pretty poor with their bench. Nikola Jokic gets hurt. Uh, you can see that team plummeting into the play-in. But right now, we'll talk about this from the perspective of Minnesota, Los Angeles teams against New Orleans, okay? So let's consider the opponents. The Pelicans have played four games with the Timberwolves, and they have split them down the middle, 2-2. Pelicans are now a better team. So winning a game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, not out of the question. They are 3-0 and against the Los Angeles Clippers this season, the New Orleans Pelicans. So I'm going to go out on the limb and saying winning a game against the Los Angeles Clippers, not out of the question. And they have yet to face the Lakers. They're going to play them three times before the season is over. But as we know, the Lakers are 26-30. and 30. They've uh, really been floundering here. And they haven't been playing good basketball. Perfectly winnable game against the Los Angeles Lakers as well. So when you just, to me, when you break this all down from the perspective of what is the bet to make after this trade for C.J. McCollum? To me, looking at their chances of making the postseason, I would say that they have a, a better chance than 20%, which is that 4-1 to mark, at doing so. I thought it was going to be more like 350, right, in that range of 22 to 23% of implied probability. But I thought it was going to be like 350, maybe even 3-1 to uh, was going to be the case for me too. And that's about like a 25% chance of making the postseason. So I, when you look at this from the perspective of price – to me, yeah, four to one. If you're in a market where DraftKings has these up, be worth looking at for the New Orleans Pelicans. And that doesn't even—I put like I put this in my notes. Zion? Question mark. I mean, who who the hell knows with Zion? But if he comes back, forget it, right? I mean, that price is going to shift dramatically if he comes back with a month left and he plays the last month of the regular season. And all of a sudden, you're talking about a team with Zion Williamson back in the fold with a month under his belt that's been greatly improved with Devontae Graham. C.J. McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas. So 
I think the Pelicans are in a pretty good, pretty good shape, especially when you consider the market to make it to the postseason and a number like that. All right, the other big news, I think, is Boston acquiring Derek White. So the trade here, Derek White goes to Boston. San Antonio gets Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, Matt Eumann's favorite player. 2022 first-round pick. He'll kill me. He, that's not his favorite player. He does not like Romeo Langford. That goes back to a joke that uh, Eumann's was, like, super strong against Romeo Langford. Didn't really love him in his time at Indiana. You can totally understand. And a 2028 first-round swap. So that's the uh, trade there between Boston and San Antonio. Well, this is from the Boston perspective. So I think White is a fantastic addition for the Boston Celtics. It's a, it's a great addition for a bench that really needed some offense and some playmaking. Boston's bench is averaging 28.8 points per game. That's 26th in the NBA. 5.6 assists per game. That's 27th. White helps both of those issues immediately. He's been an efficient scorer in his career. His uh, 25.5% assist rate this year works wonderfully for the Celtics bench unit being a facilitator. Not necessarily like a lead point guard if you need it off the bench, but just another secondary ball handler. Like right, right, like Gordon Hayward's really good at this. Gordon Hayward's a great passer, has solid assist rate for his position because he keeps the ball moving. He'll make the extra pass for an open, for an open field goal attempt, and Derek White will do the same. And we saw a bunch of this on Friday, by the way. His, two, his first game uh, was with, with against Denver, 28 minutes, 6-12 from the floor. He was 3-7 for three-point range, only had two assists, but have, I think, four or five rebounds. Derek White looked really solid in his role. I think it's a tremendous get for the Boston Celtics, and he's young enough that fits everything in terms of what they're doing with Tatum and Brown, and you kind of like that fit overall. And and this is also a Boston team. Like I don't know if they're getting enough credit for what they've been doing. The Celtics are playing incredible basketball right now. They've won nine of ten games, seven straight as a Saturday. As a Saturday, when we're re-recording this, they're second in non-garbage time defensive efficiency, giving up 106.1 points per 100 possessions. They're first in opponent field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage, 50.3 percent. Right now, they're in control of the seventh seed, but I mentioned it earlier, just a half game back at Toronto to get out of the play in and into the top six. I I I value defense a lot. I know a lot of people when they talk about the NBA, like, eh, yeah, they don't play defense. Like it's not true. <laughs> in any way whatsoever, right? <clears throat> More often than not, when you look at the best teams and the teams that win the NBA Finals, they are some of the best defensive teams in the NBA that respective year. Case in point, the Golden State Warriors, all those years they went to the NBA Finals and won them. Last year, when the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks made it to the NBA Finals, defense matters. And the Boston Celtics have that in droves. And by the way, what's even more incredible is now all of a sudden, Boston, who looked like a dead under on their win total with this push in the last 10 games, is all of a sudden threatening to still go over their win total. It's been absolutely incredible what they've been able to do. So how do you handle this from Boston? Because like you don't want to look at, like they're not even hung up in some of the yeah, yes-no playoff odds, things like that, right? And you'd be laying a price with that that might not be worth it. Now, there is one place that there's a future worth betting on with the Boston Celtics. BetMGM out here in Nevada is way off market. They are at 66-1 to over at BetMGM to win the NBA Finals. The Boston Celtics are. 66-1. to Next best price is like 40-1, to 35-1. to So if you're listening to this right now, if you're in the state of Nevada, would definitely be worth it logging onto your app and going over to BetMGM and uh, firing away at 66-1, to mainly because that's just off market. But again, just think about this. If you're setting this up from a, okay, how does this work from a playoff perspective? Okay, let's say they let's say they climb their way out of that half game deficit. They take the sixth overall seed from Toronto, and their first round matchup is against the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Chicago Bulls. Two opponents in which a seven seed is best of seven series is perfectly winnable, winnable for the Boston Celtics. Then they move on to the next round, 
and and you can find some ways to get off of it right the next round that's where it gets a little dicey if you have a next round matchup against anyone of Milwaukee Philadelphia Miami although Miami they have kicked the crap out of Miami in a couple of regular season matchups and Jimmy Butler wasn't on the floor for one of them but he was for the for the first one and the Celtics beat the piss out of him and that was early in the regular season in November I think it was actually on my birthday um but regardless, they've shown an ability to match up well with Miami. So now all of a sudden, you're talking about let's get let's say second second round series win over the Miami uh, Heat, and then boom, just like that, as we were talking about with the Brooklyn Nets, a berth in the Eastern Conference Finals, and you're sitting on 66 to one to win an NBA title. So and then you can find ways to get off of it if you like as you move forward, all that stuff. So 66 to one to me is totally worth it. I would and I would say I would just say watch out for Boston if you want to invest in 40 to one or so. I, that's another one of those things where I wouldn't really say no to it. You know, I think at this point, the way that they've been playing, they're clearly the best defensive team in the Eastern Conference. Yes, they are the best defensive team in the Eastern Conference right now over the Miami Heat, over the Milwaukee Bucks. They are the best defensive team, and defense gets you a long way, man. It gets you a long way. And if they can figure out some of these offensive issues that they've had, Derek White, of course, coming along and helping in that regard. Also, by the way, uh, no drop-off in defense with Derek White out on their floor. He's been a plus defender every single one of his seasons with the San Antonio Spurs, statistically. I really like that move for the Boston Celtics, man. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums, but I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me. <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Really like that move for the Boston Celtics, and especially like it with 66 to 1 over. And you know what? Yeah, 66 to 1. Let's see. You know, this doesn't make for great podcasting, but when you're talking about, uh, let's see. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, boom. In, 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 in. in. Let's go. Log in. Some of these apps sometimes, man. Got to say, the, uh, the login process is an absolute just burden. We'll call it that. An absolute burden. Because yeah, sometimes you got to like close the app back out and like re-log in. The Wi-Fi thing, it's all fucking garbage. Anyway, uh, yep, so let's do it. Let's do it together. As you're listening to this, if you're out in Nevada, let's do it together. Huh? Hit up the app. There you are, 66 to 1. And boom. Just like that, we're in. Just like that, we're in. All right. So, Celtic, 66 to 1. Add it to the profile here. Anyway. So those are the three, those are the big deals, right? Those are the deals that have ramifications from a trade deadline standpoint. Those are deals that are worth talking about and discussing at length. There's a couple of others on the fringes that I, I think really matter, both positively and negatively. For example, you know, Montrezl Harrell going to the Charlotte Hornets. I, I just, so the Hornets, as we know, are a pretty poor defensive team, right? I think right now, double check my notes here. You should, you should have this up. I really should. But sometimes I get so many tabs open while I'm doing these that I uh, I lose. 24th in defensive efficiency at 112.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. And center was a position of need desperately for the Charlotte Hornets. Has been for a while. It's in the it's why in the draft where LaMelo Ball was available. Also, Nyeko Kongu was there, and that's where they were tied to him. Uh, it's why they were tied to Miles Turner before he got injured, and he was likely going to get shipped off to Charlotte if that was going to be the case. So center was an issue. But again, like think about just think about the vein of the two centers that I just talked about. Those are kind of, we know Miles Turner is a really good defender. Uh, Onyeko Kangu could be a really solid upside defender as well. Montrezl Harrell's not that. You know, he's a center, and you need him, and he's going to work really well when this team's getting up and down the floor, and he's a solid offensive piece, but he's not good defensively. Doesn't address one of their biggest issues. So, while like, you like it to fill a need. I mean, I saw some, I saw some analysts out there giving it an A+. I would highly disagree with giving that move an A+. It, it fills a need, Yes. But the posi- it, it fills a need of the position. It doesn't fill a need of what your weakness actually was at the position. So we disagree with that. The, the fringe move that I really liked a lot that I kind of mentioned on the air with humans that, you know, is not going to shift odds in any way whatsoever. And on this pod, what, a week ago or so, and on the network, and as I've tweeted out, you know, I bet on the 70, or excuse me, 76ers, uh, bet on the Suns to win the NBA Finals at 7-1, to one, and now they're about 4-1 to one to do so. I liked what the Suns did. Getting Torrey Craig to fill in on that wing depth, and he's you know a guy can hit an open three. Uh, going and getting Aaron Holiday because Cameron Payne is hurt, and you need that secondary guard to run your offense. Right, Holiday's a really good piece to get him only for cash. Suns did good, man. Sneaky to just kind of eh, just quietly just fill the holes. I made a joke. I made a joke on the edge. I said, uh, "What was the line? I I, I used the uh, the Lil Wayne line. Real G's move in silence like lasagna. Uh, Yum is just right over the head. Didn't really go. Didn't really go over. 
I was proud of it, but maybe it's just a little corny. But the Suns moved in silence. They were great. I love what they did. I love what they did. And also, um, very quietly, the Milwaukee Bucks acquiring Serge Ibaka from essentially the Los Angeles Clippers. It was a 14 deal, but they the, the goal was to get Serge Ibaka from the Los Angeles Clippers. And essentially, the way the deal breaks down is the Clippers are paying for him. Um, they need him. We don't know what's happening with Brooke Lopez. They've kind of been filling the gaps. Uh, they what, what the Sun, what the Bucks have been doing all year long is what we do with tight end or kicker throughout the fantasy football season, right? Say, ah, I'll just pick up another guy. Right? I'll just pick up another guy off waivers every single week and just fill the holes as the year goes along. Right? DeMarcus Cousins was there for a little bit, um, and they've been just trying to get along with that. Bobby Portis has played center for them at times, so I, that was a really big need for them. And Ibaka at times it looks good, at other times he looks creaky and old. They really want Brooke Lopez to come back. So if Lopez comes back and all of a sudden Serge Ibaka is your backup center, that becomes really intriguing. But at the end of the day, the deadline, I think these are the three that really make a lot of moves and a lot of noise. You know, like, I would love to spend time on the Kings going getting DeMontis Sabonis for De'Aaron Fox and all that stuff, but I feel like that's more of like a big topic NBA kind of deal or a big picture NBA topic, one that's not necessarily prevalent to a betting podcast. Uh, Aaron, um, Aaron or excuse me, Aaron, wow, got a lot on the mind here. Adam Burke brought up when he filled in with me at the beginning of the week. You know, the team, what does that do for the bubble? Like, I don't they, they're clearly pushing for a play-in berth, so maybe that motivates them to start playing pretty hard. They did really well in that second leg of a back-to-back against Minnesota the other night. But at the end of the day, I don't really think that's worth it because, like, you can get 11-1 to on the Kings to make it to the postseason. The problem is that two-game gap that they have between them and the 10th seed and the two teams in front of them in San Antonio and New Orleans, I think, power it better than them still at this point right now. We'll see what DeMontis Simonis does for them, but uh, I don't think he improves them defensively. Albeit, we do see statistically this year he has been um, improving the Pacers' trade, or excuse me, the Pacers' defensive efficiency when he's on the floor. And then outside of that, you know, there's just a bunch of other noise out there in terms of the trade deadline and some of the other pieces that moved uh, at that point. By the way, a couple of notes. Uh, dear God, the Knicks blowing that lead, getting out that scored 35 to 11 in the fourth quarter to lose to the Trailblazers. Holy crap! Kings are down by five in the end of the first. Uh, the Washington Wizards. By the way, the Washington Wizards, too, are another one where, you know, we could talk about Kristaps Porzingis getting shipped over there. The Wizards kind of uh, ejected a, a bunch of pieces at the trade deadline, too. Porzingis just hasn't really worked out, obviously, for the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks going, uh, making some moves. And, you know, you kind of like what the Mavericks did. It, it's not like a move that's going to change the landscape of things. Uh, but when you're talking about getting a Spencer Dinwiddie, acquiring him and having another like ball handler out there. Um, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. And Davis Bertans, if he can actually get his shooting stroke back, it doesn't hurt to have uh, what the Mavericks acquired, but that's not going to change anything from a betting standpoint either. So I thought that those were the best trades in terms of um, talking about it from a betting perspective. So again, I apologize. This was supposed to be up on Friday. I had some technical issues and ultimately the episode was not listenable. So I couldn't post it up. Didn't get back to re-recording it here until Saturday. So back on the normal schedule again for next week. Uh, I will say that um, in the coming weeks, there might be a change here for the positive, for the good. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've been checking the numbers, the numbers have been going up. So I want to really, really say thank you from the bottom of my heart as we continue to get these out regularly, uh, the support and um, the continued uh, increase 
in some of the interactions from you guys in terms of at least downloading, listening to the podcast. Appreciate it as always. So be back next week as usual um, with a lot more topics. And uh, good luck this weekend too, man. Super Bowl 56. Ooh, yeah, too. By the way, uh, some of those crossboard props that ER and I talked about, um, had a lot of fun with those. Uh, the Harden ones got uh, refunded or they're not bets anymore because he shifted teams. Also had the market shift on a couple that we liked. For example, Evan McPherson plus the two and a half against Joel Embiid opened minus 110, pick both sides. Uh, that's down to minus, uh, that's up to minus 130 on the McPherson side, the side that we're on. So I uh, can't really wait, man. I cannot wait. Super Bowl 56 is great, but some of those props make it a lot more fun. Uh, with that, good luck this weekend. Hope you win everything in Super Bowl 56 unless you're on the opposite side of me. And we will talk next week here on Hardwood Handicappers. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.